Welcome to the AMR Studio, a podcast dedicated to the multidisciplinary research on antimicrobial resistance, hosted by the Uppsala Antibiotic Center. Hi, I am Eva Garmendia. And I'm Jenny Jagman. Welcome to this December episode of the AMR Studio. Today, you are going to be listening to an interview with Jonas Fusk, analyst at the Public Health Agency of Sweden, where he's going to talk to us a little bit about the Intersectorial Coordinating Mechanism, a group that has been working for 10 years now in questions related to AMR, and also about the Antibiotica Forum, a conference that we were able to go to this year. We hope you enjoy Hello, everyone. And today I have a special interview with uh, Jonas Fuchs from Folkhälsomyndigheten, the Swedish Public Health Agency. Jonas, could you tell us a little bit about your current position, what you're working with at the Public Health Agency? Sure. I am an analyst at the Public Health Agency at the Unit for Antibiotics and Infection Control. I've been with the agency since 2016, and I work mainly with national coordination of AMR activities. So there's a group working between different uh, public agencies in Sweden called, in Swedish, the Samverkansfunktion, which I'd like to translate to the collaboration group. Who's included in this group? We are at present 26 government agencies and other organizations. So of those, 22 are government agencies of different kinds who work on a government mandate. And then we have also attached a few other organizations to that civil society organizations, such as React, as you know, and Strama and, and a few others. So how did this, um, this collaboration group start? Where, what was its purpose and how, how did it get going? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm going to try to give you the brief version of that. <laughs> so the Swedish Samverkansfunktion is what is globally known as an intersectoral coordinating mechanism, ICM, which is essentially a structure and a platform to facilitate working across different sectors and responsibilities when it comes to, in this case, antimicrobial resistance. And that's of course, a big thing because intersectoral collaboration is very tricky. It looks easy on paper, but it's very tricky to do in real life. And Sweden has a long history of working across sectors, especially perhaps in AMR. The first Swedish National Action Plan was published already in 2000, and that one had a One Health approach even then. And a lot of activities that we work on came about as kind of a bottom-up collaboration rather than being imposed by top management, as is often mm -hmm. the case. And officially, the Swedish ICM was farmed in 2012 on a government mandate that was then given to the Board of Health and Welfare and the Board of Agriculture jointly. So there's a clear One Health perspective in this, considering that they, from the start, gave this mandate to the, sorry, I don't know the proper translations for these, the Board of Agriculture and the Board of Health, I mean, they exactly they yes. acknowledge from the start the combination of these things. Yes. And One Health is kind of the overall guiding principle for this, both in Sweden and mm -hmm. obviously globally as well. Yeah. We have tried to go a bit beyond the usual, because when you think One Health, you usually think human and animal health, the food chain, and perhaps also the environment. Mm -hmm. And we have those components, of course, but we also try to go a bit beyond that and include things like research and innovation, preparedness and contingency planning, trade, international cooperation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, right from the start, that's been important. So not just necessarily the different, I don't know, physical realms where antibiotic resistance is important, but also more the different interactions between, like when you say trade and research and all these things. I like that this approach includes more than just the places where antibiotic resistance could be a problem, but the places that can impact antibiotic resistance. Exactly. So it's about who do we need on board to solve these things and to work mm -hmm. with this in a good way. And of course, it also depends on who feels the impact of the problem. I mean, we right. definitely experience it in human health, obviously, in animal health, in the food chain, and to some extent, I suppose, in the environment as well. But rather than that, asking the question, who do we need to have on board? 
in order to really work at this in a good way. Yeah, do it efficiently and thoroughly, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. So one thing that this ICM in Sweden has kind of led to is this Antibiotika Forum, the Antibiotic Forum, which we actually attended, Eva and I, last week. And it was the 10-year anniversary. So I wanted to ask a bit how this forum started and when? I mean, 10 years ago, I'm assuming. But how did this build up into what it is today, the Antibiotic Forum? So the story of the forum is kind of closely linked to that of the ICM itself, since both of them were started 10 years ago. I mean, in the beginning, a lot was about setting up the ICM and figuring out how it should operate and who should be a member of it and what kind of structures were needed and so on. And uh, in fact, it was one of the reasons it was formed in the first place was that in 2010, ECDC, the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control, came with a suggestion to create such a formal structure, actually, in Sweden, Mm -hmm. uh, since we had some intersectoral work ongoing. But they said that, you know, it would be a good idea to formalize this. And so we did. Was this just towards Sweden or was this a general push for the European countries to do this as well? In the European countries, yes. It was part of council recommendations back in the early 2000s, but the ECDC Mm -hmm. was actually invited to participate in uh, a review of the Swedish strategy against AMR at the time. So that's why they came with that specific recommendation. Already at the start, though, a big emphasis was on communication in the ICM, which of course is important for outreach activities and so on during the World Antimicrobial Awareness Mm -hmm. Week but also for sort of internal operations, right? So it wasn't strange that in 2012 was the first year that we did the Antibiotica Forum, because that was a lot about setting the stage for this. The Minister of Social Affairs spoke, the Secretary of State for Agriculture spoke, etc. Mm-hmm. So it was really about setting the stage for the organization, providing the mandate and kind of agreeing on what roles and responsibilities and expectations we should all have on this. And at this year's Antibiotica Forum that you mentioned, we actually had two of the founders, if you will, Ingrid Isantaltarn yeah. and Bengt Larsson, who gave a summary of the birth of the ICM and some of the mm-hmm. bumps along the road. So we kind of weld full circle there. Yeah, it was definitely a fun part of the day was to hear the history and everything, and especially from people that were involved from the start. Yeah. I wonder when the first Antibiotica Forum was in 2012, do you know about how many groups were involved at the time? How many different organizations? So yeah, I've tried to find the details on that. (laughs) It's not as easy as now because right now the the government mandate clearly specifies who should be involved and we have invited a few more. But back then Mm -hmm. the mandate was directed only at the Board of Health and Welfare and the Board of Agriculture and they sort of invited everybody else. So I'm sure that information is out there somewhere but at this point I don't have it, sorry. I like that it's something that of course you're trying to get structure and you're trying to you know, establish this working group to move forward and really make this idea more concrete. But I do also really enjoy this kind of just going with the flow feel that I get from both talking to you and the speakers at the Antibiotica Forum who were involved from the beginning. This kind of like, oh, we're just going to go for it. We're going to bring people in very um, goal driven rather than like, oh, these are the people we should talk to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I really appreciate that. Um, mentality that seems to have been at the time. Yeah, I mean, if you look at research, what it says about intersectoral coordination, there is actually a bunch of that. And uh, one of the most important things is to have a clear vision that is shared Mm -hmm. among all the people that participate and also a perceived need to collaborate. And once you have that, and we do have a strong vision in terms of antibiotic resistance that we all can partake in, then the idea is that the practical details tend to resolve themselves if you give them time and somewhat reasonable resourcing. Then, uh, So that's that's what, what has been happening, yeah. And I mean, it feels like a very, uh, as someone who's in a way outside of this, but being at the Antibiotica Forum, it feels very, um, you can tell that there are strong collaborations both between organizations, but also between individuals, that they've had this kind of contact, that they built up this repertoire. I think you can really kind of feel that collaborative spirit. Nowadays, I think I'm probably, even even before, a very familial kind of 
sense to it. There's a lot of respect between the different stakeholders for each other's competence and a fair amount of understanding as to the circumstances under which we all operate. Mm-hmm. And that's also fundamental, of course, in understanding yeah. and knowing when to step in and when to step back, when to collaborate mm-hmm. and when to, you know, do the work within our respective sectors. And that was something that I remember from the session with the two of the people involved from the start. One of the things they mentioned was the need for mutual understanding and respect to be able to have a conversation at a respectful level and discuss things from what I interpreted as, you know, we're all here for the same goal and then work to reach the same outcome. I mean, it struck me as a central part of collaboration as a whole, but definitely important in this situation when you're working with different governmental organizations as well. Of course, there's a lot to keep in mind, but I thought it was a very good general recommendation. I mean, I know you've only come in in the more recent years, but how has this collaboration and the Antibiotica Forum changed and developed over the last decade? Some things have changed and some have remain the same. Uh, mm-hmm. In preparing for this, I, I pulled up the agenda from one of the early Antibiotica Forum and actually recognized quite a lot from, <laughs> from yeah. that agenda. Many of the challenges are still there and our main vision hasn't changed. But then again, collaboration takes time to develop and the ICM has matured a lot during the years. There's a mm-hmm. lot more of us now. I mean, the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences, for example, joined only last year mm-hmm. as the first actual research and teaching institution. And initially, like I said, there was a lot about finding and defining the role of the ICM. In 2014, the Antibiotica Forum, the first draft of a common action plan was presented. And there was a lot of discussion mm-hmm. around that, identifying common grounds, etc. Then we've had a lot of different themes around the conferences. And some of those themes actually developed so fast that we'd have to repeat them. Mm-hmm. Like communication and behavior change was the theme in 2015 and again in 2019. International collaboration in 2017 and 2021. So some things we feel are very important and kind of vital to the way we work, but we tend to look at them somewhat differently now than perhaps what we were able to do in the beginning, yeah. Yeah. And it's also worth keeping in mind, I feel like there's a lot that's happened on the general AMR front in the last decade. I mean, we definitely got a wind in our sails there in, say, 2015, 2016. I mean, the the global push has increased. I haven't been involved in it as long, but it's it's worth thinking, you know, this also happened in this environment, although Sweden has been towards the forefront for this effort over the years. The forum also plays a role to kind of bring these actors together in that sort of situation where they can just discuss and catch up. Do you see that this has been maintained over the years? Is there kind of an increased, I don't know how to say, connectivity between the people, a closer camaraderie? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you ask the participants, how is this function or structure relevant to you? That is one of the main things that they bring up, Mm -hmm. the kind of ease of communication internally and uh, whenever you need to work on something that you need to bring in another perspective, you know exactly who to call, Mm -hmm. even if it's not specific to these AMR issues that we handle right now, Mm -hmm. you just pick up the phone and call someone, a representative for the other ones, which previously was very difficult and very time consuming to find the right person. So those things have really had a very good effect on collaboration, not just within this specific issue. Of course, during the pandemic, for example, a lot of things changed for everyone, Mm -hmm. not just that We were all very busy with other things, but we had to switch to a a more digital way of of interacting. But fortunately, then the ICM had already existed for many years and people knew each other and and that worked really well. We even had two Antibiotica Forum in uh, 2020 and 2021 completely digital. And Mm -hmm. that went surprisingly well, I would say. We even had a forum session aimed at the general public for the first time in 2020, which we streamed on YouTube, uh, which is still there if you want to see it. Of course, it was nice to be able to meet again this year. Nothing beats kind of physical meetings when it comes to networking, obviously. But I have to say it's impressive that, especially with this group of people where a lot of people had to change their uh, work priorities pretty drastically in the pandemic, I think it's impressive that this collaboration and the Antibiotic Forum both continued and seemed to have been pretty strong. Yeah, Like you said, also changing the digital, but that 
that works better, as you said, when it's already established. But I think it's still impressive from the outside to see that this really big <laughs> impact didn't really decrease the effect of the of the group or the antibiotic forum, from what I can tell. Well, of course, we had to prioritize our time yeah. a lot, but we also learned a lot during that time, not mm -hmm. the least uh, when it comes to communication, because that's one thing that we did a lot during those days and still do. Yeah, uh, We have in the ICM common communication platform, which is called Skydda Antibiotikan, uh, Safeguard mm -hmm. Antibiotics, more or less, that we actually launched early on. Um, but we have this year now uh, completely redid the website mm -hmm. and, for example, included the different entry points, depending on whether you're interested in information about each sector separately or the ICM overall. Mm -hmm. We have an educational sector entrance for upper elementary and high school and even some material for preschool children. Great. So we've really tried to bring along the things that we did during the pandemic and what worked well and what didn't work well into this work as well. Yeah, bringing in the lessons learned and applying it yeah. here as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, now that we're back in slightly better times, the pandemic isn't necessarily over completely, but right. like you said, we could the antibiotic forum could be on site in person for this 10 year anniversary. How do you see the Antibiotica Forum and the the ICM as a whole, the collaboration group as a whole? moving forward? Well, one thing we've talked a lot about is how to approach the theme of international collaborations. Mm -hmm. This has been discussed on and off over the years, but now we feel times have changed, as you said, and the One Health concept is very often cited internationally. Mm -hmm. The need for collaboration across disciplines is strongly felt, and it is easier said than done to do these kind of collaborations. And our model of running an ICM has rendered quite a bit of interest lately internationally. We've presented mm -hmm. it in different contexts and been invited to assist other countries to implement their national action plans and setting up ICMs of their own. Mm -hmm. And of course, many of the stakeholders in the ICM have a long history of capacity building in other countries individually, so to speak. But yeah. we haven't done much work together internationally. So that's something we're looking at currently, how to do that in a good way. Okay. And of course, also following the development internationally, for example, now that UNEP has joined the tripartite of the WHO, FAO and WOA, mm -hmm. like what will their role be? And can we learn something from that in how we engage the environmental sector? Yeah which has been challenging in many countries and also globally. So we're also looking at how others organize their work and how we can interface with the global structures that are emerging right now. This is one of those things that, I mean, the way Swedish civil society is built up is, I mean, I wouldn't say it's unique, but every country does things their own way. And it must so, be yeah. kind of difficult to export this kind of a setup and really make it work in their settings. My personal feeling is that Swedish civil society is very... We have a lot of governmental department that are can be relatively yeah. niche directed with a lot of organization between them. And there's like how the political level is involved. All of this differs between countries. It must be challenging to find what would work in a different context. Sure. But also, I mean, very important. Like you said, it's it's definitely something that you can share experiences and bring elsewhere, but it must be a challenge. It is. And we have experienced challenges like that, depending on where we have discussed this. I think we try to go back to the basics. Yeah. You know, why is it needed? Like, what is the purpose of this? What can you gain from this? What are mm -hmm. the common grounds? And so on. More focusing on the, the goal and the players and the actions rather than maybe the names of the specific organization, like exactly, the, the yeah. titles and stuff like that. More, more focusing on the, the end goal. Yeah, because otherwise you tend to create these kind of uh, desk drawer products where you have a really yeah. nice text formulated around this, a really nice paper plan, but in reality, nothing really happens. Mm. So then you need to really get back to the people who are who are mm -hmm. working and what they can get out of being a part of this. What's in it for me? What's in it for the common kind of goals that we set up? Well, with that, I want to say thank you for taking the chance to talk to us about the Antibiotica Forum and the Samverkansfunktion. Also use the Swedish words to get them right. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Well, I could 
just briefly say that we, of course, keep exploring the ideas that, uh, you know, that we started talking about. That is not just the core sectors of human and animal health and, and, and the environment and so on, mm-hmm. to see who else we could bring into this collaboration to make it work better. I know that you recently did a special episode on Antibiotica Smart, right? Yes, it's it's released now, yeah. <laughs> Which is a really good example of that, uh, I think. So, yeah, so definitely. We're looking at different ways of staying relevant and kind of redefining this ICM model mm-hmm. and trying to see who else can be brought along on this. Yeah, and especially as... Um... I would say politics and priorities change and uh, not just that, but also organizational structures change. I mean, we have departmental changes in Sweden relatively often, I'd say. It must be important to kind of have this renewal of, okay, have we included everybody that should be included? Is there somebody that's not involved right now that can give something to the effort? It must be a continuing effort there. Yeah, definitely. And the the political landscape, of course, is also ever changing. But so far, we have been fortunate in that every government we've had for the last 20 years have been very supportive of our efforts Mm -hmm. and have held AMR high on the political agenda. So there might be differences in opinions on how practically to do the work, but there's a big recognition of the seriousness of the issue. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure if we mentioned it earlier, uh, the current Minister of Social Affairs actually came to this year's Antibiotica Forum as well to to give a talk as a bit of a conclusion. So that was nice as well to see. Yeah. Like you said, from the 10 years ago and now, there's still support. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Then uh, I'll just say thank you again. Thank you very much for having me. Hope to see more of these in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. You're always welcome. So, Eva, it's been quite a month. (laughs) Yes, it's been uh, tough. I was even two months for me. Quite tough. And uh, I was talking to someone else from the Uppsala Nomadic Center about just the month of November is so (laughs) stressful if you work with an AMR because everything is happening at the same time. All of it together. And you want to do all of it. It's very exciting, but it's also exhausting. Yes, this month has been pretty interesting. A lot of things to learn, actually. I'm, I'm very happy that we're able to actually make it for the December episode (laughs) for a change. It's really good after having the special episode. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to talk about a little bit about the interview we just heard. And we're also going to talk about our own experience at this Antibiotica Forum that Mm -hmm. happened a couple of weeks back. Yeah, so a little bit different, not just commentary, but we're going to give a bit of an idea of what this actual forum was. It was a completely Swedish forum. This is a very Swedish centrified episode but it's a nice example to give to everyone else as well I think so I think also in the interview we were it was easy to see like why is it important that people beyond Sweden actually learn about how how we're working with this here and for me personally now that this year I went to the forum fully in Swedish and Mm -hmm. with my Swedish I was able to you know get to learn really how these people are working with this this is just something to start with but it was really great to see this after the pandemic and it was nice to see just all these people I mean these aren't people that I know very well, but just to see everybody like get together and be like, oh, hi, I haven't seen you in two years or three years or whatever it is. It was just a fun experience to see how close these people are mm-hmm. that work together in this question, how close this group seems to be. Mm-hmm. And people aside from the actual central group also, like how all these people work together. Yeah, yeah. So about the interview mm-hmm. and the little chat you had with Jonas, which is very nice that you were able to sit down and talk t- with someone that, you know, knows a little bit more about what is this Samverkansfunkhun that you mm-hmm. guys talk about and also this Antibiotica Forum. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed certain parts of the interview because now that we got so much into the type of project like Antibiotica Smart Sweden, Antibiotica Smart Sweden that we talked in this special episode just released, yeah. I feel like there is a lot of parallels of this vision-driven environment that Antibiotic Smart Sweden is thriving for and the work that these people have been doing for the last 10 years. Yeah, definitely. You can kind of see where the ambition and environment comes from, this Swedish way, I guess you'd say, with the Samverkansfunkhun, which will kind of call either the collaboration group or the intersectorial coordinating mechanism. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a complicated word to, to translate, but it, you can kind of tell where like the inspiration comes from, where the, the work comes from. I mean, it, this is based on years of functional work in a way, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily by those people, but it's the environment in Sweden, I think. 
Yeah, I think it made me appreciate more why why things actually have worked here in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Internationally speaking, Sweden is seen as an example to follow. And like we're doing very good with having, you know, banned the use of antibiotics very early on in the quest and uh, having reduced the number of prescriptions in the primary care and all the stuff. And, and you wonder why does it work here and maybe we haven't tried or haven't done it in other places? Mm-hmm. And I think listening to Antibiotica Smart Sweden and now Jonas on the uh, collaboration group and the Antibiotica Forum kind of gives you an appreciation like, okay, this is the kind of work that's behind the effects. Yeah. That is what we're seeing of why Sweden is so, quote unquote, so good. Yeah. I think also there is similar work done in other countries. I mean, the thing, and I... I hate myself for this. I said the wrong phrase during the interview. I was trying to describe the effect of the Swedish governmental sector, and I said civil society. So I can get that out now. But uh, I think that this contact, this effort, this collaboration uh, works really well with the way a Swedish governmental sector is built. Mm-hmm. And that does need to be adapted for the local context in different countries. So I think Sweden has the benefit of the way our government is structured. Yes, this is definitely way more collaboration between these organizations than you maybe see otherwise, but there's still this kind of respect maybe for other organizations. There's this kind of there's still this kind of respect for how these different organizations are working. I think that's what it transpires on learning how these people work and also like it was mentioned, how much easier other downstream work becomes once you have built these networks and you know mm-hmm. who can know a certain thing and when you actually need to grab the phone and ask for advice from someone that knows much more than you in a mm-hmm. specific thing, you just do it. You don't get delayed on doing this work. Yeah. So Yeah, it's not just about finding the right person and knowing who to call, but also building up like a relationship with that person where you can ask a question and get a straightforward answer. Mm-hmm. We mentioned briefly in the interview that part of the Antibiotica Forum, we'll get more to it in a little bit, but there was a part where two of the people who were active from the beginning talked a little bit about their experience. And I thought that was really great to hear just the importance of having respect for your colleagues, Mm -hmm. for the other people in the group working from different organizations. Clear that that's been very successful. This Mm -hmm. is a group where everybody respects other people's inputs. Seemed very clear from the start. Yeah. Another thing that I think we might want to dwell a little bit more on is Jonas presented that, you know, this collaborating group has like 26 different partners, which are different governmental agencies, but also even some research institutions, Mm -hmm. as he was saying, that just last year, the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences joined as a place that does teaching and research. Mm -hmm. And some people listening to this might be asking themselves, why is there no more representation from the people actually doing the research in AMR questions? And there's a reason for this, right, Jenny? Yeah, so this was something that uh, was brought up at the actual Antibiotica Forum as well, just because SLU, the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences, has recently joined. And it's actually been a little bit intentional that there aren't a lot of research institutions included, or a lot of uh, universities. SLU has a relatively unique role in Sweden. For example, the only university that educates veterinarians, for example. Mm -hmm. So in this situation, they have a relatively unique role that's a little bit more governmentally organized, I'd say, than Mm -hmm. a standard Swedish university, which has a little bit more freedom. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there is a reason why it's specifically this university that's been included so far and why there hasn't really been more. But there are, it's important to emphasize, Vinova, Wetenskapsrådet, the Swedish Research Council, they're included. So there is definitely a level of research mm-hmm. included, but it hasn't often been on the university level. Yeah, I think I think it's good that, you know, at least funders of research are actually represented here to know what are the needs and if the needs are being met. But as it was actually very emphasized during the interview, this collaboration group is built out from the bottom up in a sense. What are the needs? And then who do we need to join this group in order for these needs to be met and these problems to be solved? So Mm -hmm. it's not to say that, you know, we're trying to not have the researchers because they don't have anything to do. It's maybe because at this moment, the way that it's built up, it works this way. And then as the priorities might be changing, then the members might also be Mm -hmm. changing. And depending on the context, that means maybe in other places, maybe more research institutions need to be part of this kind of collaboration, intersectorial work. But this is how it is built up now here in Sweden. And it's a specific part of Sweden's local context. So that's this is one of those examples. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I want to kind of move on a little bit to talk more about the actual day 
the forum in yes, itself. The antibiotic it, forum. I had a really nice day. It, it, yeah. As you say, it felt so social and it felt yes. like even people, you know, like it's been a lot of years without really meeting a lot of people face to face. And it, they've been very formative years personally for me in the area of antibiotic resistance. Mm-hmm. And with me learning more Swedish and learning, you know, the things that have been done here locally, nationally. Yeah. And not just Swedish, it's bureaucratic Swedish to some degree when <laughs> yeah. you're talking about these things. I mean, there is long parts about Swedish law, which, for example, can get pretty heavy. <laughs> exactly. But it felt like I have heard of of yeah. the majority of these people. So many I have not even exchanged an email with. But, you know, I saw their little name tags. And it's like, oh, this is this person that did this or he was involved in this. Yeah. And it was it was really great to actually be there and get to mingle with these mm-hmm. people. And it was very well organized day, I have yes, to say. Yes, definitely. It, def- it flew by. It, yeah, which, it I mean, in anything that, to fly by, it has to be very or- well organized. <laughs> uh, I actually went to an Antibiotica Forum back in, I think it was 2016. I tried to do the calculate back. And it felt very different this time around. Because back in 2016, I was just getting into AMR. I was a very young, I think I was still a master's student when it was happening. Or I, I think it was before I even started my master's project in antibiotic resistance. So... I was just basically completely a participant, not interacting with anybody, very shy. This was a great experience to come back at the end of my PhD and have a totally different experience with people I've met before, people I've talked through the podcast, through other things. And it was great to meet everybody in person, too. So let's let's talk a little bit about what how this this antibiotica forum antibiotic forum in english mm-hmm. went by like what kind of things did we learn and what kind of things were presented in this 10 year anniversary kind of was a special occasion yeah. forum so starting from the beginning we had a nice presentation from what who they call our amr ambassador mm-hmm. in sweden modern grafe yeah some people listening to this should know who she is because yeah. actually is the first instance of a country assigning an amr ambassador and i feel like it's an approach that maybe some countries are gonna go behind mm-hmm. now or like follow up yeah and it definitely emphasizes how much sweden cares about this i mean sweden politically has been engaged in this question for a long time mm-hmm. uh, so she gave us a background about what's going on in sweden and her role as an amr ambassador as well because that's relatively new then we had a relatively heavy for me heavy section like i said on swedish law in human medicine and veterinary medicine things that are changing veterinary law has actually been implemented if i understood right these changes are largely from european directives But this is the basically the implementation in Sweden, if I understood right. Mm-hmm. Might have gotten a lot of this wrong, but it was really nice to see how things are changing, to get an update. It was a lot of information that they had a very short time to present. Yes. <laughs> but I think they did a pretty good job of kind of giving us a general update, what's coming, what's how, how have things gone. Mm-hmm. And then, as we mentioned in the interview, there was a talk with some people who are in the Samverkensfunktion, the collaboration group from the beginning mm-hmm. and their experiences. There was also a short presentation about Two papers that we've actually talked about on the podcast, yeah. these uh, global burden of AMR mm-hmm. papers looking at the European level and the world level. I think it, the role of that talk was kind of to put it more in context, like yeah. because also since the forum hadn't happened in person, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, okay, we're now sitting back together. What do we know now that we didn't know before? And mm-hmm. these two papers are like very important of this like huge amount of data that was analyzed. Yeah. yeah. And I don't remember who it was, but somebody also pointed out, like I think part of the reason they brought it up was just to talk about well, what do these different numbers mean? Because there we have the directly attributable to AMR and associated with AMR. I can't remember which the exact we, words. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we t- which one we should use and why. It was a little bit of a discussion of, okay, what do these numbers actually mean? Yeah, I think they, they brought it up in the in the discussion after. Mm-hmm. And then it was basically, okay, well, this is like an upper level yeah. and a lower level of what the estimates are. And mm-hmm. since a lot of the data comes on estimations throughout the world, yeah, of course, we cannot be 100% sure, you know, this is too... To yeah. the T, how many people have suffered of this, but we can now have a boundary of mm-hmm. of where this is falling into, and it's much more than it was estimated before. Yeah. So. and I think it's really nice to have that in this setting where all these people who are often going to talk about it and use these numbers actually have a discussion about what are, what numbers are we using and why. Yeah. So I thought that was really great. Yeah. And then there was also a section from someone we recognize from here in Uppsala, Tomasting yeah. Dian, and a few others talking about shortages of antibiotics, and also some conversations from. A representative from the Swedish Medical Products Agency looking at what happens with antibiotic shortages, what's the situation abroad and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we had lunch, which for me was a very interesting experience because, um, as I said, I'm not a 
very fluent Swedish speaker. You I understand I, a lot. I, I, I understand a yeah. lot, but when it comes to speaking, to speaking. I, I feel like I still have a bit of a barrier. I don't really feel myself, whereas in English and Spanish, of course, I am me, <laughs> right? But uh, I was a little bit late to get to the lunch, and I feel like the lunch, they just wanted people to mingle, so they were mm-hmm. putting people together as people were arriving to the eating hall. Mm-hmm. And then I was one of the last ones, that there was this guy alone in a table, so I just went there and I asked, like, can I sit here with you in Swedish? And he answered in Swedish. And then in the end, I ended up having a whole lunch speaking only in Swedish about antibiotic-related things and the center <laughs> and the podcast. And I was like, how did I make that happen? I was so strange. I think it was the weirdest kind of, like, Swedish experience for me so far because I use Swedish very sparingly here and there. I write in Swedish quite more than I actually speak. Mm-hmm. So having, like... A conversation about that but he was super interested in what yeah. is it that we're doing and he have heard about us because he works at the resilience center which mm-hmm. we have one of our pis also being kind of there and he said that he it was the first time in in the forum as well because mm-hmm. he's from something that is a little bit related but not super related which is the supply chain of uh, fishes both either fishing ah. or aquaculture and one part of sustainability within fishing is actually antibiotic resistance and uh, preventing infections in fishes Mm -hmm. as well. So he said he wanted just to learn about what people are doing within antibiotic resistance and the forum was a perfect place for that. So that was kind of like very nice to get to meet someone so, so different, but still we have some things in common and some interest on what is it that we're doing. So I think that kind of summarizes how the forum is, is that you get to meet these people all with Mm -hmm. the same kind of goal, but working very different things. I want to throw in on that conversation topic and also because that kind of happened at the same time during the day about their what they call toriet the, the square uh-huh, yeah. so they had like a open area where we had mingles where we had fika in Sweden because it's Sweden so of course we had fika a <laughs> uh, coffee break and after lunch I mean that they had um, basically posters or stands for um, several different groups and organizations including Strama which we've talked about before here in Sweden they had a couple of stands to talk about there was um, an organization of private companies that are associated with medical technology or biotechnology in Sweden that have recently made in, I can't remember the exact name, but it's an alliance to look at Mm AMR-related questions for them Mm -hmm. as well. For example, an organization called Frongorte Gaffel, so From Farm to Fork, Mm -hmm. also including Axe Foundation Sweden, so kind of including the food chain process as well, Mm -hmm. Uh, and from some other people who presented as well. Some things we talked about from Antibiotics from Sweden was there as well. Mm -hmm. Lots of different organizations, and I got a chance to talk to some of them, and I don't want to go too much into detail, but... One thing that I love that many of them brought up was that they just wanted to share what they were doing. They wanted to talk about what they were doing with other people. They were like, maybe somebody can take it up. Maybe I can get some information. Had like names or like email lists of people they were going to contact and everything. I mean, it was just a lot of collaborations kind of starting up, I think. Yeah, I, there. that's how people kind of get together, right? Yeah. And I feel like, I, I think I told you, like, we should have maybe applied to have like a little table yeah, and just talk about nice. our podcast. <laughs> Even though I do think that a lot of people there already know about the podcast. And I also because... went around and like asked everybody. I was like, yeah. can I talk to you from the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> that is quite, uh, yeah. it's quite nice. And I loved also because um, Madeleine Danielson that we talked to from Folkesmyndigheten about the Folke asks about viruses and bacteria, which Mm -hmm. is directed towards very young children and preschool age children. She brought some of these conversation cards uh, that that is involved there, like 15 packs or something like that. And she like they were all like there was just a bunch of us parents were just like, I'm going to take some of these to bring home to my kids. (laughs) So it was it was a very fun chance to to really talk to people and kind of get into more details. It was really good work and Mm -hmm. and a lot of like policy brief by different organizations. Also, we were able to get a hand on. And yeah, like overall, like a lot of work and a lot Mm -hmm. of really good work. And very, very engaged people. Mm -hmm. It was very fun. After lunch, also, we had a talk that I think it was very interesting. And I think maybe for people listening to us outside of Sweden, it might be of curiosity to mm-hmm. learn what is the strategy of the Swedish government to put money on to antibiotic resistance research. Yeah. Because within the National Action Plan, there is a mandate to put a central amount of money into research. And that's kind of curated or like the Swedish Research Council takes care of assigning that money. So there was someone for the, from the Swedish Research Council talking about what is their priorities, what mm-hmm. are they doing with the money, and kind of like what is the direction now moving on with, you know, where are they going to put the money on and, and see there's going to be also bigger collaborative European projects where there's going to be a big pool of money for this One Health kind of um, oriented research projects within yeah. AMR, which was very interesting to see as well. Yeah. And I, 
like that they also emphasize the importance of social sciences in this question. That was my big takeaway from that. But book. I have to say here, I have something that it kind of, it's a bit contradictory to mm -hmm. me, which is, they say social sciences is important, and I completely agree. I mean, you yeah. know, here in the podcast, we bring a lot of social scientists that are working on AMR-related questions. But I know for a fact that this money that the Research Council is giving out, it's only given out through the natural sciences yeah. track of projects. And then how do you actually are able to give within this program of money that is safe for this particular kind of project? How do you give it to social sciences projects if you are actually building up in a way that goes more to the natural yeah. sciences? So there, I think maybe something can be fine-tune or yeah. find a way, like maybe have a small call within the social sciences that is for things related to AMR. Mm -hmm. That could be a way to do it. But yeah, like when that happens, like, yeah, you are right. Social sciences are good, but are, how are you addressing that the money that is for this actually ends up in the right place? Maybe there's a bit of work to be done mm -hmm. there. So after that, there was a talk from somebody from Ethelu, the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences, talking about what you need to think about when starting an environmental surveillance program. This is basically something, you know, if we're going to start talking more about the environmental aspect of AMR, what do we need to think about? Uh, so it was a great short presentation, kind of just an introduction, a lot of basic statistics included, so that was fun for me. And then we got a chance to hear about something we all know pretty well by now, so we got a nice presentation from Camilla and Gunilla about Antibiotica Smart Sweden. Just a fun revision for me, <laughs> so exactly. I won't go too much into that. One part that was brought up after that was an initiative from a local school here in Uppsala, actually basically just across the street, mm -hmm. where they've made uh, an educational package for for school kids, uh, older school kids, towards what we call in Sweden, gymnasia or högstadia. So right before university. Kind yeah, of. basically mm -hmm. from the ages, yeah, 14 to, to university ages. So that was really cool to see how they've actually implemented this in a school setting and what they've thought about their process and all of that. Yeah, they are doing really good work. Actually, we've been collaborating with them from the center mm -hmm. because they have also were the first school to actually make a magazine about antibiotic resistance called mm -hmm. Resistance or Resistance. And they have been really kind of using the resources of the researchers here at the university yeah. to build up this school package to mm -hmm. teach about AMR. And they also have collaboration with the pedagogical department here at Uppsala University. So yeah. these two teachers actually got, you know, some time paid off to actually do this work yeah. and have a bit out from teaching, teaching. Mm -hmm. And I think their work is really, really good. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning, one of their students actually came to the university for their studies and came to do a project on antibiotic resistance specifically because they remembered their work at the, yeah. at the high school. Exactly. So that was a fun little connection there. Mm -hmm. Then there was honestly one of my favorite talks of the day <laughs> at the end. Uh, or not, almost the end. I think it was a very good choice because it kind yes. of brought the energy back up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, it's called The Creeping Crisis of AMR. Mm -hmm. A really great political scientist from Denmark, Olivier Rubin. And he gave a really engaging talk about, okay, creeping crisis in general. These crises, it's not it's not a pandemic. It's not that acute. It's, it doesn't happen that fast. It's not kind of continuously engaging you because it's a constant part of your daily life. But the effects are huge. Yes. But it's just hard to kind of maintain efforts and engage and mm -hmm. in these kinds of it struggles. It creeps on you, basically. Yeah, it creeps on you. It comes very slow yeah. and the consequences can be devastating. Yeah, it's not the severity that's that's low. It's just like the, the, the speed, the momentum. Mm -hmm. And I liked a lot of things he talked about. We, to simplify, one of the things he said is basically we need a Greta Thunberg <laughs> of AMR. Like how do we really engage? Like, you need to, like the work that's been done to engage in the climate sciences has been a lot from grassroots people that maybe aren't researchers mm -hmm. in climate sciences. You know, we need other people from citizens. involved, from yeah. citizens. We need civil society included. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting, really engaging, has been making me think since then, you know, who can we get to be engaged, yeah. be our Greta Thunberg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the actual final speaker of the day was the Swedish Minister of Social Affairs, mm -hmm. yeah. new Swedish Minister of Social Affairs, Jakob Forsmiand. He gave a very engaging talk mm -hmm. about Sweden's continued political engagement in AMR, especially globally as well. That's a quite local thing, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But I did really, on a personal level, enjoy one of the questions, the follow-up questions from our moderator, mm -hmm. who mentioned that the political coalition that this minister is included in has, among other things, said they're going to reduce government spending or Swedish government spending abroad, mm -hmm. which is one of the big ways where we're contributing to AMR efforts abroad 
is financial. There's there, It needs to be paid for. Yeah. So I thought it was a really good pointed question that, you know, words are great, but we need to be able to make action happen. Yeah. And, and action, how is this going to happen? Action comes with money. Yeah. Action requires money, unfortunately. <laughs> so I, I thought it was nice. I, I mean, it was really great that he came to talk. I think it shows, you know, the continued Swedish political engagement is still here through many different governments, everything after 10 years, yeah, still here. I think it's a very nice overview of like how how the Swedish government, no matter who is running that yeah. government, has supported the work and these questions and the collaborating mm-hmm. group and the forum and everything. And even uh, Jakob himself, he said that a week after this antibiotic forum, he was going to go to the high-level AMR meeting in Oman mm-hmm. and he's going to be there representing the Swedish government, which is it's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, how are you going to show that support beyond being there in those meetings? Mm-hmm. What is it going to happen? Is it going to yeah. have any action like we need? Mm-hmm. Or is it mostly like uh, Jonas was saying uh, I really like that he said like uh, a desk product which makes something that looks very nice on paper but it cannot really be done Mm -hmm. (laughs) so but I think I mean there's still promise there we'll see what happens with the new government and everything like that but I I think it's really nice that we get this continuity you know there's ministers present at the first antibiotic forum there's still a minister present at this 10 year anniversary there's still this government involvement it it, it was great and I, I I came home with a very nice feeling i was exhausted my head it was, was about to draining day. <laughs> my head was about to explode but uh, i created even a bigger network mm-hmm. i got to meet people that i have uh, admired their work for a long time and i i learned a lot mm-hmm. throughout the whole day so yeah so i think we could talk about the antibiotic forum for a really long time but yes. we should move on to the news mm, for sure let's move on to what's new this month Welcome to the news section for this month. So, Ava, could you start us off with an exciting article from some UAC researchers? Yes, yes. I'm very, very happy to be presenting this very recent uh, published article because it's one of these things that kind of arose from the center being a thing and bringing people together. And it's truly an interdisciplinary research of sorts, mixing social sciences and in particular linguistics and medicine, which is very interesting. So here, our principal investigators, Anna Lindstrom and Thomas Sendien. Anna Lindstrom is a linguist and Thomas Sendien is an infectious diseases specialist physician at the hospital. And they have published this article in the journal Social Science and Medicine, available from the 2nd of November of this year. And it has as a title, Introducing the C-Reactive Protein Point of Care Test, a conversation analytic study of primary care consultations for respiratory tract infection. So what is cool about this article is that it's kind of looking at something that is quite medical, which is like, are you going to perform a test to see what's happening to then decide if someone gets the treatment or, or mm-hmm. not, depending on what the results are. And for people that don't know uh, out there, the C-reactive protein, also known as the CRP test, is a test that is not very widespread across the world, but it's used quite a lot here in Sweden. And it is done to discern between bacterial or non-bacterial infections. Mm-hmm. Sort. So, uh, the guideline says that it should be used to rule out uh, bacterial infection when the other diagnostics or the other examination procedures are a little bit unclear and you're not so sure. They are not normal, but it might be or might not be. Then you kind of order this test to see. As like support. Yeah. Kind of. So what they're doing here is that they're using a corpus, which is a compilation of videos that have been taken in primary care. So it's the interaction between the doctor or the nurse in some cases and the patient that is seeking care. And then they, what they do is to analyze it from a conversation analysis point of view, which is a particular linguistic method which analyzes not only what words are used, but also how people interact with each other. And it's really cool to see how they analyze these kind mm-hmm. of videos because they don't only look at like the cadence of the speech, but also they look at the gaze of the people uh, that are in the conversation, uh, how one the pauses, when one pauses for the other person to respond. So they not only look at purely what is said, but how is it said and all this body language as well, yeah, which is really, really interesting. Nice. 
So here what they do is to look at compilation of doctor and patient conversations, interactions, where the doctor ends up prescribing or recommending that this CRP test is done. Mm -hmm. And they want to see if it kind of goes in alignment with the recommendations on when this actually needs to be used Mm -hmm. or not. And if not, what are the reasons why doctors might be using this uh, test? And overall, I mean, you can actually check the paper and check, you know, like these analytic parts of it as well and very in-depth results. But in general, what they see is that the majority of the uses of the CRP test is not done completely according to the guidelines, which means when things are not sure and you want to kind of rule out a bacterial infection, but it's actually done when other tests are normal. But using the CRP test, it can be a way to justify, for example, the patient coming into a seeking care. So there's a Mm -hmm. couple of examples given where the person is feeling quite crummy and not so good and uh, sick, or maybe they have a sickness before and they're still not feeling good and they're coming back to the doctor. And the doctor does other kind of uh, physical examinations, like it could be auscultation or it could be uh, looking into, you know, their blood pressure and stuff like this. And then they don't, you can see in the conversations that they don't see anything that is out of place, but to kind of justify that the patient came in to seek care, they say, okay, well, let's take this test to see if there is anything there or not, or kind of like to rule in to say, oh, maybe if we did this test, then we can see if you have a bacterial infection and then um, actually recommend antibiotics as well. So another part of the paper is also looking into how this CRP test is also used as a stewardship method Mm -hmm. to kind of explain to the patient, oh, we're going to do this test. And if it's not or yes, we'll see if we you need antibiotics or not. So kind of like as a justification for having to give or not give antibiotics for whatever the patient is suffering. So it was really interesting. Of course, I'm not a linguist and this is mostly kind of like a linguistic kind of article. But I think it's a very nice point of view of like trying to analyze what is it that the how the relationship between the doctor which there is kind of the authority and the patient which is kind of there seeing what is the doctor gonna say what is it what they need and I think also one cool thing is that they saw that in a couple of cases where the CRP test was ordered without giving any reason for it mm-hmm. The patient responded in a way that it was like, okay, but why are you ordering this thing? So they really wanted to know, yeah. is there a reason to actually get this test done? What does it mean? So it feels like if, if the doctor doesn't have a reason and doesn't explain the reason behind mm-hmm. it, the patient also feels like there's something lacking there, which yeah. is what's kind of yeah, interesting. that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I encourage anybody that wants to maybe read something different to mm-hmm. maybe look into a paper like this. Like cool. you said, I love that it's so intersectional. I mean, it, it covers so much in one and it's I love it <laughs> yeah it was it was interesting and um, congratulations to you know Anna and Thomas for this collaboration which is really nice mm-hmm. so we have also another UAC paper this month it feels like they've been very productive in the yeah. center recently it, it's a UAC news heavy yeah uh, month this month so what do we bring in today so we have an article called the RNA binding protein pro-Q promotes antibiotic persistence in salmonella it was published in MBio and it was accepted on the 27th of October, 2022. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about persistence before. We've actually featured one of the authors on this paper, Sophie Helene, previously on the podcast. So I'm not going to go too much into persistence, but it's this um, phenomenon that's not resistance. Mm-hmm. It's not continuous, but we basically see a small proportion of a bacterial population that has no necessarily genetic constant change, but through changes in metabolic regulation, they're not dividing. Mm-hmm. So they're non-growing cells, basically. Mm-hmm. Which means that since they're basically then able to survive antibiotic pressure and then they can start growing later. If there's mm-hmm. no antibiotics, when they start growing, then they can keep growing. Mm-hmm. And this can be a problem that leads to long-term infections or, mm-hmm. or that extends the length of infections and makes it harder to treat them. Or recurrent, in a way, perhaps, yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. In this study, that looks specifically at this RNA-binding protein Pro-Q, mm-hmm. which has, I mean, now I'm going a little bit into detail here, but it's a global regulator of gene expression. So it kind of affects what genes in the cell are being expressed when and what things happen when and that kind yeah, of let, thing. Let's see it for the people out there that are not molecular biologists. Imagine it's the conductor of an orchestra, yes. which is kind of the one that like is telling... Up and down of different things. things. <laughs> yeah, so that's, it's a good way to yeah, think good, about good, it. Good analogy there. So they looked at basically salmonella cells that had this pro-Q protein deleted. So they didn't have this regulator. This conductor was not there. Uh, and they wanted to see, okay, what happens? What is this What is this thing been doing mm-hmm. when it's present? 
And what do we see happens when it's missing? Mm -hmm. So they saw an increase of two different generalized functions here. The production of flagella, which is these kind of tail whip-like things that help the bacteria move, but Mm -hmm. they're very costly to produce. Mm -hmm. They use a lot of energy. They use a ton of energy. I think Mm -hmm. it was between 5 to 10% of the cell's entire energy, basically. And that is a lot for one specific thing. Mm -hmm. As well as something called the Salmonella Pathogenicity Island 2 type 3 secretion system. Mm -hmm. What you need to know about that is that these basically, when the salmonella are inside human mast cells and manage to survive inside human mast cells, so basically the human immune system isn't killing the cells, they're kind of surviving inside these immune cells, they release something called effector proteins, which evade the host defense system. Mm -hmm. So basically this system allows for the salmonella to survive in the human host cell. Yeah. So if we use another analogy, it's like the bacteria gets eaten by these human cells mm-hmm. and then it's able to produce certain things that puts out that it kind of makes it invisible to the human yeah. immune system. It's just kind system. of hanging out yeah. there in mm-hmm. this immune cell, yeah. which makes it kind of protected in a way yeah. from, for example, antibiotics. Yes. So ProQ is missing. They actually see that both of these things are decreased. Yes. When ProQ is there, these things are actually induced. All right. So then when ProQ is there, there is more flagella being produced. And mm-hmm. there's also more of these effector proteins through the type 3 execution system put out, which means more evasion of the uh, host immune system, mm-hmm. right? So that means that if ProQ is not there, then they are going to be killed by the immune system better. And they are- uh, That's part of it. But I'll get around to that in a bit. I want to start by saying... So what they looked at is basically this production of these flagella and this other part of the host immune system. They're very costly. Mm-hmm. So what they kind of tie us into is, okay, we see also that there's a decrease in number of persisters when there's no pro-Q present. Mm-hmm. So pro-Q is kind of helping there be persisters. All right. And one of the theories is, okay, these high-cost things like flagella and stuff like that, is it kind of being a stress that induces that the cell goes into this non-growing state? Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, or is it a way for the cell to respond to yes. stresses that leads to a non-growing leads to a non-growing state? So among other things, the cells actually in a laboratory setting, when they have this ProQ deleted and produce fewer persisters, then they grow better. They grow faster, mm-hmm. which evolutionarily that's important. Yes. But fitness and growth rates and stuff like that, that's of course very context dependent. Of course. So yeah. there is a benefit for these cells to be able to produce persisters. Yes. So what they see is that this flagella and host defense evasion can increase the formation of non-growing persister cells. Mm-hmm. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. This is a part of why, there's, why there are persister cells in the population. But if we look at inside the host cell, back to what we were talking about before, the production of these effector cells from this type 3 secretion system, so they're kind of you know hiding in there and making it so they can't be seen, this leads to a growth advantage in the cells, the human host cells, and helps with the maintenance of these non-growing persister cells. So not necessarily that there are more of them, but that they're maintained. Yeah. Okay. So in general, this ProQ protein seems to be very important in persister cell formation and maintenance, depending on the context. Okay. So that's one thing I really loved about this paper was just that it emphasized exactly how important context is. Yes. (laughs) In a lab setting, it doesn't really correspond to, you know, when there's antibiotics present, when there's no antibiotics present. I mean, it's a complicated situation, but I really loved that it's so clear that, you know, this kind of diversity, being able to create persisters, even if it's maybe not advantageous in one setting, as a whole, it's good. Yeah. So it's it's like a strategy that you have built in, in your resilience system. Yeah. So it's like it makes the cells more robust, in this case mm-hmm. the bacterial cells, because they are able to actually make these persisters in the context where that would mean a survival of, yeah. of the cells, right? So here's another example where maybe the way we study things in the lab doesn't really mm. correlate to what's happening out there when infections are happening in yeah. the body and even like, I don't know, when cells are outside in the environment or something yeah. like that. And I think they did a great job here. I mean, they did the lab work and everything like that, but they kind of kept bringing in like, oh, well, this is lab-based. And then they ended up doing these macrophage model thing and everything like that. They put it in context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really great. It's, it's very nice that they moved, you know, from like one more step closer mm-hmm. to what might be actually happening in the patient as well. Yeah. And that the results actually make sense together mm-hmm. also. And they talk about as it could potentially be, I mean, any sorts of these things that affect persister formation and survival in the human cells could be potential targets in the future for trying to make new antibiotics, for mm-hmm. example. Of course, it's good to put it in that context as yeah. well. 
But congratulations to Alisa, which already defended yes. her PhD earlier this year uh, for this new paper on her thesis. I think mm -hmm. might be the last one on the work of her thesis. Mm -hmm. And of course, Sophie Helene, if you're interested, you can look for the episode that uh, had a very in-depth interview with her work as well. So yeah. it was great. And Eva, you had one more paper you wanted to talk about. Yes, I mean, not that I really wanted to talk about it because there is, is a lot of numbers, basically, yeah. but I think it's good that people listening to us maybe know that this is out and mm -hmm. it can be a resource if they want to put things even more into context, as we're saying <laughs> recently quite a lot. And is that from that big pool of data that we talked about in the two papers that look at the global burden of bacterial AMR and mm -hmm. also in the European region more recently, now they have published uh, an article in The Lancet called Global Mortality Associated with 33 Bacterial Pathogens in in 2019, a systematic analysis of the global burden of disease study 2019 uh, by the Global Burden of Disease 2019 Antimicrobial Resistance Collaborators, which is a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's a paper looking into the pool of data and globally, of these 33 bacterial pathogens, how many people died from infections to these 33 bacterial pathogens, which is a study of its kind. It has never yeah. been done before. And just briefly, what they found is that uh, of 13.7 million infection-related deaths that happened in 2019, 7.7 .7 million deaths were associated with this particular 33 bacterial okay. pathogens, which were they are the most relevant, mm -hmm. across 11 infections syndromes. That's what they were looking yeah. at in this study. That means that the estimated deaths associated with these 33 bacterial pathogens comprise 13.6% of all the global deaths and 56.2% of all sepsis-related deaths in 2019. Wow. Yes. So <laughs> we might not have put into context how important sepsis is yeah. globally and that only these 33 pathogens are the cause of so many deaths, maybe... Mm -hmm. That could bring us more prevention, infection, yeah, <laughs> control, you know, definitely. like trying to... Just, we are not just even talking about resistance, not just infections. Mm -hmm. How many infections are happening and how many infections are killing people? Yeah. So we'll leave a link to that as well in case someone needs this reference to put it in, in their work and into maybe even looking at the data as well. Mm -hmm. But speaking of uh, context and, and sepsis is one of the things that was brought up, I wanted to congratulate Ava on a very excellently organized conference, the Uppsala Antibiotic Days. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't have the chance to do an episode on it. I, I'm so sad about this because we did other special episodes and other things. It kind of fell between the cracks, but it was a very fun conference, a lot of different topics. I mean, there were sections on social science, on diagnostics, there were stakeholder presentations, there was drug discovery, there was clinical reality, I mean, economics. Also, <laughs> there was so much that... I think it really kind of represents, especially from the UAC, you know, this kind of broad perspective of what can we do. And mm -hmm. there was a lot of nice talks from very recognized names. And I thought it was kind of fun to hear all these people kind of not bickered, but talk with about each other and, mm -hmm. you know, ask each other questions and whatnot and kind of made poked a little fun at each other. It was very relaxed setting, I yeah. thought, that could really initiate a lot of discussion. To me, like the idea of this conference started because after the big pandemic and not mm -hmm. being together for a really long time. We just wanted to do a uh, conference that kind of brought together everyone in Uppsala that is working mm -hmm. one way or another with antibiotics and resistance. And that's because we have quite a big outside of Sweden network, I would say. Yeah. It ended up that people from outside Sweden also wanted to come to present their science and mm -hmm. have a poster at the poster session. So in the end, it became more than just an Uppsala Days, it was more like AMR in general days, mm -hmm. but with a lot of focus on what is it that Sweden is doing and Uppsala in particular, why Uppsala is so important. Yeah. And I had a blast because it was the perfect mix of having very good professionals, very good speakers, mm -hmm. very uh, experienced engaged and too. engaged yeah. people, but also at the same time, the relaxed feeling mm -hmm. that you could talk with anybody about yeah. anything and you could speak your mind and as a PhD student also ask questions to these very big shot professors mm -hmm. and people that have been at the topic for 20 years. Yeah. So I, I had a lot of fun and I met a lot of new people as well. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that even though we have not done an special episode on this because this year has been already pretty busy, yeah. <laughs> uh, you will hear from some of the speakers in interviews mm -hmm. for regular episodes because... I mean, we made such a good contact that yeah. they want to be in the podcast as well. So we, you will be hearing from these people uh, slowly uh, in a diluted way throughout yes. the next year, probably. Which might be better than you get to hear more from them. Exactly. Yeah. So, but thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was great. 
but with this, I think we're done for yes. this month of uh, December. Uh, we have to say there's not going to be an episode in January. You got mm-hmm. almost like a double trouble this November, yeah. <laughs> December, two months. But we'll be back with our regular episodes in the beginning of February. And we will see if Jenny is still with us. It's yeah. up to um, in the Depends question. Depends on what I, what I end up air. doing after after January. But <laughs> if you have to drop your assignment at the podcast to be a co-host, you are going to be on the next episode at least to say bye-bye, right? Yes. yes. I can at least come back and say bye. All right. Perfect. <laughs> thank you. Yes. But yeah. All right. Everyone, have a wonderful holiday time, yeah. no matter where you are around the world. If you are in the south, uh, global south, with a good weather and uh, heat, and if you are in the global north, hopefully you have a Stay lot of warm. snow and, <laughs> and a good time yeah. outside uh, having fun in the snow. Stay safe and... Yep. Hopefully you get to spend lots of time with people that you care about. Bye. Happy 2022. Bye. For more information about the Uppsala Antibiotic Center, please visit our website. You can find a link in the episode notes. You can also follow us in Twitter. Our handle is UAC underscore UU. This episode was brought to you by the AMR Studios, composed by Eva Garmendia, Jenny Jackman, and Po Chen Tang. And a big thank you to Henrik Nys for letting us use his song, Sound the Alarm. 